Good morning, and welcome to episode 621 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, presented by the Play Index at BaseballReference.com. I'm Ben Lindbergh of Grantland, joined by Sam Miller of Baseball Prospectus. Hello. Yo. Yo. How are you? Okay. So we intended for this to be the Brewers season preview podcast. Turns out there are not a lot of Brewers writers, <laughs> so your options are are more limited when you're trying to schedule Brewers guests, from what I understand, than with most teams. So we should have the Brewers podcast tomorrow, and then we'll just do a listener email show today instead and get back onto the team preview podcast schedule tomorrow. So before we start, we want to do a quick plug. It's a a subject close to our hearts lately. We talked last week, if you listened to Friday's podcast, we announced that we are serving as the baseball operations department for the Sonoma Stompers, an independent league team in Sonoma, California this summer, and writing a book about it, which will be out at some point next year. And some people in the Facebook group were talking about buying Stompers gear. I know some people already did. If you are interested in supporting the Stompers by wearing some sort of apparel that says Sonoma Stompers on it, the homepage link is stompersbaseball.com. When you go to the homepage, you'll see a, a big image that says it will take you to the store. It's not lying. It will take you to the store if you click on it. There's also a store link at the top. And there are all manner of baseball items there, including actual baseballs and and trucker hats. And probably the the number one item on Sam Miller's wish list would probably be the black hoodie that says oh. Sonoma Stompers. I think that would be. I <laughs> I do like a black hoodie. Yep. And wearing, wearing one right now? Not a Stompers one, but wearing a black hoodie right now. Yeah, I, I thought so. It for about mm, seven weeks straight. Same <laughs> one. <laughs> that takes it off. <laughs> yeah. Take showers, not in it, right? That's true. Yeah. And the GM of the Stompers, Theo Fightmaster, has arranged things such that you can get a discount on these Sonoma Stompers items. And it's the same discount code that you have heard us say hundreds of times for the Baseball Reference Play Index. It's BP. And you will save 15% on Sonoma Stompers merchandise if you would like to purchase some. And if you do, let us let us know how it looks. Send us a picture of you wearing Sonoma Stompers gear. And a lot of people have asked about whether we'll be doing some event. I am sure that we will have some sort of effectively wild night at some point during the season with people who are in the area, but we have not discussed any plans for that yet. But you can you can show your support for the effort uh, by, by wearing something that says the team's name, and the team will be grateful and will be happy because we are grateful that the team is doing this with us. Indeed. Yeah. All right, anything else before we get to questions? Nope. All right, well, let's start with with something that's in the news says simon there was a thread on this on the facebook page but i would like you two to weigh in the observation was made that yoan mancada is like a top draft pick but because he was an international signing he was treated like a free agent and compensated in theory at a much higher rate at age 19 he is unusual for an international signing in that he's a year older than a domestic high school draftee would be and ostensibly more developed which would make him just a little closer to major league ready but he also doesn't have the track record a Jose Abreu or even Puig had. So how much did the Red Sox ultimately overpay or underpay? And why did no other team with a greater need to restock their minors, and he lists the Brewers as such a team, open the change purse and blow Moncada away, a la Arizona, with Yasmani Tomas? And we should probably say how much the, the Red Sox actually spent on Moncada. They spent... $31.5 million on the signing for him bonus, and that means that they have to pay a 100% penalty, so they will end up spending $63 million, and then, of course, they will have to pay him salaries at some point. They will have to pay the usual arbitration salaries for a player, but I was sort of surprised that it wasn't more because we had been hearing $30 million, $40 million, and I kind of figured that if everyone was throwing that figure about that 
maybe that was what teams were actually valuing him at. And then if everyone sort of saw him in that range, then someone would want him just a little bit more than the other teams. And that team would outspend the other team. And then he'd end up higher than the figures that were being discussed. But as it was, he he ended up right in that range or even sort of lower than, than some of the figures I had read. So, so let me ask you a question. Let's say that there was a uh, player who was exactly like this in the exact situation uh, once a year for 10 years. And, you know, Moncada is, is the first in that sequence, but the, the next nine are valued exactly the same way and they have all the same, the same situation. Uh, by the 10th one, let's not let inflation and things like that get into this, but by the 10th one, how much do you think he would get paid? Do you think that some aspect of his price was suppressed just because um, uh, this is an unusual situation and people just were kind of not used to paying this much for a player of this age and uh, and status? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, so, it, it would so, depend what happened to the, the player in the in that uh, I intervening know, decade up. i know, I know <laughs> but shut up shut up <laughs> okay up. so just how much of that do you think like what do you think would would his you know what where would it find its level i i think it i mean it is maybe a tougher sell than i was thinking i mean there were there were a couple of teams that were ineligible right because they they couldn't sign players because of previous spending and exceeding bonuses but there were still the big teams, the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Dodgers were all reportedly interested. And I sort of thought just that enough would be, just those teams would be enough. But I guess it's it's kind of a hard sell in that even if he is really good and everyone is saying he's, you know, roughly the 10th best prospect in baseball or somewhere in that range, he's... 19 and so it's not like when you pay for Tanaka or someone or Darvish who you're expecting to contribute right away you're paying all this money for him and then he will go to the minor leagues and he's only 19 so maybe he'll spend two three years in the minors and maybe he maybe he won't succeed there I don't know whether his his risk level his his bust chances might be a little bit higher than some other 10th ranked prospect just because he hasn't played in the minor leagues. He hasn't played in the U.S. He hasn't faced pitching here. Maybe that increases the uncertainty a little bit. So I guess that just takes a lot of teams out of it. And I'm kind of answering Simon's question more than yours right now. But if you are the Brewers, then, uh, I mean, first of all, you have to be confident that you're going to be still with the team if you're the GM in three years or so, and that you're not going to blow your budget on Mankata now and then lose the next couple of seasons and not even have your job when Mankata finally shows up. And then it's probably just a tough sell to ownership to convince them to spend this much money on an unproven player who won't contribute for a few years. So I would guess, though, that not counting inflation and everything, just, just the fact that it has happened now, if it were to happen again, I'd guess it, it would go up to, say, 40 at least for a equivalent player. I have been kind of operating under the uh, assumption that a lot of teams would love to have him and might even love to have him at that price, but coming up with $65 million uh, on short notice is hard even for super rich people. Yeah. And that it just is simply a matter... Like, if this had happened, maybe... I mean, maybe even if it had happened in, in October... Maybe there would have been more bidders uh, because as we've talked about with other free agents, with more traditional free agents, sometimes it's hard to find um, teams that have that budget flexibility this close to the season and this late in the offseason. Um, but also just it's a lot of money. I, I, I wouldn't know where to go to get $65 million in the next week. Uh, but uh, then it occurred to me that maybe it's really easy. Maybe you just... Maybe if you're a billion-dollar company, it's really easy to get a loan for that, and you just pay interest on it. I'm not sure. It, mm-hmm. it did seem like some teams were using that as an excuse um, today to explain why they didn't sign him uh, or why they weren't able to sign him. Um, but and and I I think I still believe it's true. But it wouldn't surprise me if somebody emailed and said, "Nah, it's just it's the easiest thing in the world if you're a rich guy to get more riches." I don't know. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's it. But it also just seems like even if you wanted to do it or that it would be hard to convince someone that that was the way that you should spend your money. But I don't know. It seems it seems like a a pretty good bet on their part. And I'm going entirely on what people write about Moncada and tell me about Moncada. But it seems, seems like it, it has a good chance of working out in their favor. But only so many teams could take on that risk, I, so, I suppose. Hey, I got, a, I got asked a question today that wasn't emailed mm-hmm. and that you haven't heard of. Okay. I'm just going to start saying it, though. Okay? Yep. All right, so Tim Lincecum. You know Tim Lincecum? You know mm-hmm. his dad? You know the thing about him and his dad? Is it teaching him how to throw that way and everything? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Tim Lincecum's dad used to be very public around here in the Bay Area. Like, you'd, you'd, he'd, he'd be on KNBR, the radio station, all the time talking about Tim Lincecum and how awesome Tim Lincecum was and how awesome he was, how awesome he the <laughs> dad was. And, and uh, during Tim Lincecum's golden years, uh, his dad was, like, like, as I understood it, kind of his pitching coach. Mm-hmm. And uh, his his everything coach, his life coach, you know the 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 son in his uh, in his solar system, and then I guess something happened. They had a falling out. They they you quit hearing his dad on the radio. They quit interacting so much. I'm not sure of the details. I might be uh, misrepresenting somewhat. I I'm trying to undersell though. I think it was it was a I think it was a falling out. Anyway, uh, Tim Lincecum got very terrible at baseball for uh, many years. And then this offseason, started working with his dad again. I heard his dad on the radio just two days ago. <laughs> uh, maybe it was five days ago. And uh, his dad was talking about all the work they've done and, and how, like, his dad was talking about how his towel drills are so much better than everybody else's towel drills. Like, he was really going on about towel <laughs> drills and how <laughs> inferior everybody else's towel drills are. So everybody else is just washing windows. Like, that sounds like if you told me that you were the one washing windows, maybe that would sound good. <laughs> saying washing windows, I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. Like, washing windows sounds like Mr. Miyagi to me. So, mm-hmm. anyway, his towel drills were better, and he was thrown into a net. They didn't even have a gun on him, and I don't know. This long thing about Tim Linscombe's offseason. And so now people are getting optimistic because he's back with his dad, you know? Mm-hmm. And not just because his dad was his coach, but because his dad was his, uh, you know, as if, if you had a, if you had a, uh, yeah, I think a lot of people, maybe if they had a falling out with a family member, that might affect them, their lifestyle, whatever. So, Tim Lincecum's Pakoda, multiply it by by what now? How, <laughs> do you first? Uh, this is two questions. Do you do you give any credence to this being a factor in his career? And if he wins the Cy Young next year, and you had to put a number on how significant a factor it was uh, what percentage of the improvement was due to his dad what would you do if i'm if i'm back from back from a year from now in a time machine and i tell you oh yeah you didn't hear tim linscombe on the cy young <laughs> how much are you giving credit to his dad huh man that'd be great i could claim that my article from last year where i wrote about how tim linscombe was back was just ahead of its time um hmm. every now and then you hear those stories about a player who was just all out of whack and his pitching coach couldn't help him or something, so he broke it all down and he went back to his high school coach who had built him up from scratch or something and they watched video of what he had looked like in high school and he got back to base, basic principles and suddenly he was great again. And you never really hear the story of, yeah, I broke it all down and I pitched like I had in high school, and I was awful. I was even worse, and my coach completely screwed me up. You don't hear that story as much. I would multiply his Pakoda by 1.01, or or, or 0.99, I guess, if I'm saying it will will be lower, his ERA. You're giving him 1%. Yeah. All right, now. Be happy. He's talking to his dad again. All right, now, talking to Time Machine Sam. (laughs) <laughs> how much of the how much uh, let's say there are a hundred units of improvement how many of those hundred units are you giving to his dad well i guess probably a lot i think i it depends on, on how he did it like if he were suddenly throwing a lot harder and he had noticeably different mechanics and he said his dad told him to do that thing 
then I'd, I'd give him a lot of the credit. I don't know. Well, but, I mean, do you need to know that? Assuming that this isn't just Babbitt luck or mm-hmm. something, like assuming that there's true improvement, then uh, improvement can come in all sorts of ways. It could come in command. It could come in velocity. It could come in sequencing. It could come in uh, stamina. It could come in all sorts of ways. Right. But what what would the other explanations be for how he got better at those things? Random fluctuation, and he was always, and you know, and he had uh, he had shown flashes even in the three years of struggles that he had. I mean, he threw he's thrown like four no hitters during his <laughs> terrible seasons. <laughs> so I guess that or Dave Rigetti, you know, anything. Hmm. Mm. Yeah. Well, of course, there would be such a narrative surrounding it that we would know what he credited it to but i don't know i i'd say uh 30 30 improvement units Mm -hmm. all right potentially more potentially (laughs) less what would be the potentially more like what would be what sort of improvement would you most credit to uh, a personal pitching coach well i mean i don't know we talk a lot about mechanical adjustments and how i never know whether to believe them or not but if Tim Lincecum suddenly started pitching like a Cy Young winner again, I'd, I'd probably believe it if he were actually doing something demonstrably different and it were something that his dad told him to do and he wouldn't have done otherwise. I don't know what that thing would be. But, but... It would involve towels. If he comes out with towels, <laughs> if he pitches the whole year with towels and wins the Cy Young, you'd have to give his dad a lot of credit for that, right? Yeah, I'd give the towel 10 units and <laughs> I'd give Mr. Lincecum the rest. Oh wait, does it come out of Lincecum? Does it does that come out of Mr. Lincecum's 30? Yeah, I think so. He didn't do it himself. The towel so played he a gets part. 20, he gets 20 in the towel. <laughs> right? yeah. yeah, I think so. Well, speaking of fathers, that was my father's question and now I don't have to get him anything for Father's Day. <laughs> Next year you can get him our book. Or a black hoodie. Yep. Okay. All right. Uh, all right. Well, this is a question from Tim Livingston, the, the Stompers broadcaster who set all of this in motion by contacting Sam. So what sabermetric aspect do you feel doesn't get talked about enough during a broadcast? Since the Pacific Association doesn't have much in the way of advanced metrics, I leaned on OPS, BABIP, and strikeout walk rates a lot last season. But do you think there is something from a game theory perspective or another advanced metric realm that could educate the fans while also not having the information go over their heads? That's a good question. I don't have a. I don't. I don't know that I have the the best answer. I imagine that there are better answers than this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the first thing that comes to mind is that uh, I I think that um, uh, win expectancy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like I would. I would talk about win expect. I would probably. I would probably mention win expectancy roughly as often as the score. Uh huh. I, yeah, I, that came up. I was at a ESPN MLB summit sort of thing a few weeks ago, and I was talking to a producer of baseball telecasts there, and that came up at some point. And I don't know, someone else in the conversation didn't think that that would appeal to a lot of people or that it wouldn't personally appeal to him to know what the odds are. And I guess I can see, I guess I can see that. Like you, you, you usually have a sense. I mean, you know who's favored to win at any given time, pretty much. And you have a sense if it's a real long shot or if you're likely to win. So in, the numbers are, are cool to see. It's, it's nice to have exact, precise numbers and know what happened in previous games in, this, in these circumstances. But it doesn't really shock you right it's it's cool to quantify after the fact maybe even more than than during the game i guess it's nice if you i oh i'll oh, see i find it completely uninteresting after the fact like huh. oh oh you mean for analysis well i, I mean yeah. to me as a as an once the game is over the sort of narrative value of a win probability change is not that interesting to me i don't I have never been a person who looks at the graph after the fact and sees the game. You know, like it, it's like 
uh, it doesn't it doesn't chime in my brain to see a, a chart after the game. Now, as the game is going, I do, and to feel a swing as it's happening and to know you know what a swing it was uh, is is good. And and certainly for analysis, if you're talking about, I do use it for analysis. It's useful. Mm-hmm. So I, I didn't mean to. If that's what you were saying, I didn't mean to argue that. Yeah, well, I don't. I I like looking at the graph. I I mean, just to see if there are a lot of swings, then you. But again, you kind of know if it was a great game or not. And well, so how would you want it to be used on a broadcast? Would you want, would you want it on the the Chiron somewhere? Like, this is the number of outs. This is the number of strikes. This is the win probability. Would you want it? At the top of the inning, it's 3-2 Giants, and they have a X percent chance of winning the game. Or would you just want it like after a big hit where you say, before that hit, the odds were this? And no, after- no, not the change. I'm not as into the change as uh-huh. much. I, I, and this is going to not endear me to, to everybody, but I would like to be, I would like the world to get to the point where we talk about win probability in te- instead of score. I'm actually more interested in the win probability, especially within innings, you know, within an inning when there are runners on, Mm -hmm. I'm, I actually am more, I know what the score is. I mean, you know, that's, I guess you have to know what the score is. You have to know what that run means like literally, Mm -hmm. but, um, but I want to know, I love it when a team is behind, but ahead, you know, Mm -hmm. if you're down by one, but you have the bases loaded and nobody out and you're technically kind of ahead. Like, I love that. That's, that's great to me. That's more accurate than knowing the score because the score. Look, what is the score, Ben? The score is at the end of the game. The score is the final, the final word. Okay, so I understand that. But the score mm-hmm. is an accounting. It is a, it is an estimate for who is going to win at the end. It is, um, uh, it is, it, it, it's a way of keeping score of who's <laughs> ahead, right? Uh-huh. And and so while runs are the unit of measurement for winning. At the end of the game, obviously, runs are all that matter because they're the unit of measurement for winning. But as the game is going on, not everything that oh, – I don't quite know how to put this. Not everything that changes the estimate of who's going to win is a run. There are there are sort of sub, sub-events that also affect it. And uh, so I think that if the score is <laughs> – if somebody says who's winning, who is, why, why isn't it the team that has the higher win expectancy? Like why wouldn't it be that? They're more uh, win. Right. Well So why not? I mean if you said who has more runs, then it'd be the team with more runs. But if you said who's winning, it'd be the team that's more likely to win, yeah? Yeah. There aren't that many times when the team that is winning does know, not have the higher win percent win expectancy. Sometimes though. There, yeah, that would be interesting if you had a team that was I mean, there's down no by a couple of runs, but they had the bases loaded with no outs or whatever. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna argue a little bit because there are millions of times, thousands of times, when we say the game is tied and it's not tied. True. I mean, every every first inning, every every first inning is tied, and yet as long as one batter has batted, mm-hmm. as long as one pitch has been thrown, it's not really tied. Uh huh. So then you you would. I guess want this on the screen then at all times, right? I would. Uh, well, I don't. I guess I, I'm trying to think. I, I guess the score is the score always on the screen these days. Yes. Yeah, I don't. I don't particularly need that, and I don't need. T- Tim's talking about radio, and I. Uh, right. And I, I also like radio, and um, you get the score a couple times an inning, and. Like I'd feel okay getting the score a couple times in inning and the win probability or the win expectancy a couple times in inning. Mm-hmm. I wonder if broadcasters are afraid that it will make people stop watching if if they know the odds. Oh right, because <laughs> that right because ninety ninety seven percent is is like a what a three or four run lead in the ninth or in the eighth. It's probably yeah, which, which which and, sounds doable. <laughs> But, like three, people think three or four is pretty close, but people don't think 97 is close. That's true. Yeah. That's true. There isn't much upside there, is there? Well, I don't know. I don't, I mean, it's yeah, like I, I don't know like if anyone's that. tuning in because this broadcast has win probability on the screen. Maybe. I don't, I don't know if it's something that would drive people away. I mean, some percentage of people are always going to 
just react viscerally to math in their baseball broadcast and not not like it even though it's it's not even it's hardly math it's based on previous baseball games and what happened in those then i guess the other problem is that your your basic win probability is based on just league average everything which can be quite different from an individual situation if you've got the best hitter in baseball up against the worst pitcher in baseball that can swing the odds considerably so I don't know. When I worked at Bloomberg Sports, we we did some sort of real-time win probability thing that I think was used on some playoff broadcasts at some point, and that was kind of cool. It just it, it was like a projection system sort of thing with the, the odds ratio of the hitter and the pitcher, and it kind of fine-tuned the win probability. So if you could do something like that in real time, that would probably be even better, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, I don't know, that's my go-to example. Fair enough. Okay, play Play index. index. All right. So I, this is, uh, I started thinking about this idea of guys who get intentionally walked more than they get, who get intentionally walked a lot, but they might also get walked a lot or they might not get walked a lot, but a high percentage of their walks are intentional. And I don't know why, this is not the case, but for some reason I was sort of thinking of this as like, the, the way to measure most feared hitter, right? Because like, you, you fear him so much that you intentionally walk him, mm-hmm. even though they, I don't know why I thought this. It's, it's or not. he bets eighth in the National League. Shut up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> so, then, uh, so I, this is just step one of this, though, because we are going to get to that. Okay. Uh, so I wanted to see who has the highest percentage of, of his walks uh, coming intentionally. And um, so I just, I went to the play index, I looked up the, using the proportion tool, I looked for intentional walks making up a quarter or more of your walks, and that gets you, that gets you the, all the great players, right? That gets you Barry Bonds, and Albert Pujols, and Ernie Banks, and Hank Aaron is, is just barely right under there. And so there's a bunch of really great players who are at 25. That's about where you cut out all the people who get tons of walks, and then you start getting kind of more to the point. So... Uh, if you bump it up to 30, then you have uh, Ichiro, which is cute. I like that. I like <laughs> that Ichiro's on there. Um, and then you have a bunch of number eight hitters, and then you have one guy, one one true, true feared hitter. And I'm going to give you a chance to guess. Who is the one hitter since 1900 who has 30% of his walks coming of the intentional variety who hit more than 115 home runs? And it's not Bonds? It's not Bonds. It's it's uh it's not Bonds. Mm-hmm. It's definitely gettable. But if it's not Bonds, then you know that you got to come at it from a different direction, right? Because mm-hmm. Bonds is Bonds is one kind of guy who gets on this list, and then there's another kind of guy who gets on this list for the opposite reason. I don't know. I don't feel like putting that much effort into this one. All right, Vlad Guerrero. Ah, okay. Naturally, right? Yeah, swings at everything. Sure, okay. doesn't doesn't walk on unintentionally. So that's so that's thirty percent, and I kept going up just. just who's the highest and uh, Gary Templeton is close he's number three but uh, the highest is um, is Manny Sanguian hmm. and Manny Sanguian yeah yeah <laughs> Manny Sanguian was what <laughs> that was my next guess <laughs> <laughs> was a was basically a league average hitter who hit eight and I'm mm-hmm. gonna just I'm gonna look this up but I would guess that uh, of his he he was intentionally walked 96 times which I believe is quite a bit more than Jim Rice, just for the record. Yeah, well, that was the whole thing with Jim Rice, right? Everyone he said he's get... the most feared. He, yeah. No one wanted to face him, but but that wasn't actually the case so much. Uh, actually, it's interesting. Sangian, I'm gonna, I'm going to uh, withdraw him. He is actually the champion for legitimate reasons, hmm. because of his 98 intentional walks, only 14 came when he was batting eight. And he got, like, he got two batting third. He got six batting cleanup. He got 17 batting fifth. So he, uh, he was a hitter. You and I don't remember this because we're young, but apparently he was good at baseball. So he's the champ. He was in really bad lineups. Maybe he was. So then Gary, we're going to call Gary Templeton then the, the number eight hitter champ with 144 intentional walks. Uh, and so anyway, that's not the point of this. That's a, a boring thing, kind of. But then I got to wondering whether 
the fact that there were a bunch of guys on here who batted eighth, but they're all from an era that, like, I, they're all guys who I basically don't even know about. Like, I know Gary Templeton, but then there's a bunch of guys named, like, Doug Flynn and, like, John Bateman. And, mm-hmm. like, those guys are really Doug Flynn. What did I say? Doug Flynn? Did I say Doug Flynn? I yeah, and did. John Bateman. And a bunch of guys who are from, like, the 70s and, right. and so on. So I wondered whether we're seeing any change in the rate of uh, number eight hitters getting intentionally walked. Mm-hmm. If uh, if it's risen or fallen over the years, intentional walk so rate overall is is down. It is. You're right. Yeah. All the, uh, yeah, it is, and only partly because Bonds retired. Although part, also partly because Bonds retired. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So uh, so I looked at the rate. I I started just by sampling five year samples in each decade to see, and uh, there's a there is there does seem to be a peak. In the 70s and 80s, there was very, very, very few in the 40s. In the 40s, hardly anybody ever walked the eighth hitter to face the pitcher. Mm-hmm. And then in the 50s, it got up to about 1.6% of the time. And then up to 2%, 2.2, 2.2, 2.2. And then in the, in the 2000s, it started dropping a little bit. And now it's down to 1.9%. And so that made gave me enough to, to go looking and see whether there is, in fact, a uh, clear... Uh, a clear slope, and there's not that clear a slope. There's a there was definitely a peak in the 80s, uh, in the 70s, I should say. And in one year, 19, eh, it looks like 60. It might be 68, which would make sense because everything weird was 68. Uh, more than three percent of eight hitters got intentionally. Uh, sorry, in, in eighth hitters were intentionally walked. More than three percent of their plate appearances. That's the high watermark. Um, and approached again in the mid-80s, and a bunch of years in the mid-80s that are around like uh, 2.5 or so. And and it's definitely going down, uh, but not real steadily. There are years that are high, years that are low. Uh, not a great trend, but it's definitely going down. So this strategy does seem to be fading somewhat hmm. with time. And you might, by the way, I only looked at National League, because of course the American League mm-hmm. is a factor. Uh, and I did adjust for interleague play because nowadays number eight hitters uh, in the National League spend something like 6% of their games playing in the American League where they would not be batting in front of a pitcher. So I, I mm-hmm. did control for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so there is a trend, a subtle trend away from this strategy, uh, which is somewhat surprising because pitchers are much worse hitters nowadays yeah. than they used to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but maybe it's somewhat unsurprising because um, there is more, I don't know, there's, uh, like you said, intentional walks are down overall. Teams mm-hmm. are seem to be aware that intentional walks aren't always as strategically sound as they might appear at first. Um, and so maybe, I don't know, I don't know if I would say teams are wising up because I think that intentionally walking a hitter to get to a pitcher is probably a pretty good idea a lot of the time, especially with pitchers being as hapless as they are now. Uh, but maybe someday there will never be a, a number eight hitter intentionally walked. At this rate, around twenty six fifty, if my math is correct. <laughs> All right. I hope I live to see it. Me too. Uh, okay. Cool. Play index. Use the coupon code BP. Get the discounted price of thirty dollars on a one year subscription. It was not sixty eight. It was nineteen sixty seven. Three point one percent. Okay. Record. A record. All right. Oh, hey, can uh, I real quick can I real quick uh, answer sure. Dana's Dana's question from a while ago? I don't know what it is, but please do. Dana wanted to know if there's ever been a game in which a offense uh, reached all 24 base out states. Oh yeah. Uh, so you know there are eight different ways to have runners on base, and then there are of course three different ways to have some number of outs. So there are 24 base out states. Nobody on with none out, nobody on with one out, runner on first with one out, and so on. So uh, he wanted to know if this has ever happened, but really he wanted to know if this is a thing that happens a lot. And uh, I also didn't really have an idea of whether this is something that happens a lot or never. And so I uh, had Rob McCune um, of our stats team look it up for us, and I wrote about it. It's up on the site if you want to look at it. Um, But as I wrote in that, I would have guessed that it has happened never in history, or that it happens a few times a year, because that seems like what most things are. Um, but it's not. It's about once every 15 years this happens. The last time it happened was in 2007. Um, and uh, 
I looked at that game in a little bit of detail to see how it happened. <laughs> it's hard to find a reason to write about that game otherwise. <laughs> there's nothing like there's nothing particularly notable about it. Like I was thinking, oh, it'll be 26 innings or they'll score, you know, 24 runs. But it was just a game. They won eight to three. <laughs> nothing really exciting happened. Uh, there, there were a couple of slightly unusual plays on which these opportunities pivoted. Uh, and so that was, I guess, my revelation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it just happens sometimes. That's all. And you might not even know. It's you happening might, right before your eyes. You might not. Believe it or not, some people <laughs> might not even notice it happening. You and I would. And everybody listening would. But there are some fans who might not even notice all 24 base out states happening in one game. Around the, we have our base out state bingo cards. I was going to say exactly that same thing. Once you get to the eighth inning, you cross out all but one of your base out states. The beat, yeah, the beat writers have a pool going to see who will get the last base out state. I guess it's probably a lot less likely to happen these days with fewer people getting on base. Fewer people getting on base, but also fewer people scoring. They're just, they're just when they do get on base, they just pile up out there. There's, sometimes there's six or seven guys on base. Nobody can score runs anymore, so mm-hmm. might <laughs> might be easier. All right, this question comes from John. This is a little bit like one of those stereotypical tech company questions where they bring you into the interview and they ask you to calculate how many, I don't know, how many, how many. Some things are in McDonald's in the whole country. Right, or the land, like, the, 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 man, the manhole cover one. I don't know the manhole cover. I know the, the how many McDonald's are there. What's the, the manhole cover one? The manhole cover. How many is, manhole covers? No, it's why are manhole covers round. Oh. Do you, do you, you don't know the answer? No. Uh, it's the only way that it can't fall in. There's no way that you can turn a manhole cover that it would fall in because it's a circle, you know? So you can't, no matter how you tilt it or turn it or tip it on its end, it can't fall in any other shape you you could. Very clever. Those mm-hmm. manhole cover makers really know their stuff. Yeah, that was I think that was a Google one or an Apple one or something like that. Anyway, yeah, what's this one? <laughs> so this one is, how many high fives does an average replacement level high fiver give <laughs> out during a season from day one of spring training until game 162? Think for just a minute how many hand slaps a player gives every single day. It might make you sick. <laughs> it probably makes them sick. Yeah, right. About the, it passes the germs. germs, right? Yeah. So how many high fives? Should, okay, so day one of spring training until game 162 is how many days roughly? That's I mean, it's February through through September, so it's, you know, seven months. So it's like 200 10 days something like that ish 200 days let's say because you don't you don't report until halfway through september and then you then you end in the last couple days of september so 200 200 days of baseball season in which you could be high-fiving so how many high fives a day do you give obviously there are some some off days in there when you might not high five there's the all-star break let's say it's i don't know 180 high-fiving days so how many high fives do you give in during a day of baseball? I don't think that you give any that aren't in the game. I I'm I'm sort of going back in my memory, and I don't think they give high five. Like you might see, you know, if your pal comes out of the batting practice cage, you might do an like sort of an ironic high five or like. Are we counting fist bumps? Did fist bumps get mentioned? He said, hand slaps. Uh-huh. So yeah, yeah. And we're I not think... counting. We're not counting hand shakes. Because there's a lot of handshaking. Like I've said on this podcast, baseball, Major League Baseball, is a handshaking sport. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, I feel like the spirit of the thing is just all, all forms of hand-on-hand interaction. I don't, I don't want to count handshaking. Mm-hmm. Not, a, not a shake, not a greeting. The subject line was high fives slash hand pounds. Okay, so, so that's a We bump. can go with that if you want. So how many a day? How many a day? Well, let's see. You figure... You figure certainly every every run for sure. Right. <laughs> so that's you, at least four on average. You, yeah. Well, I mean, if you're up. the if you're the player scoring or you're the player 
hitting the home run or something, you're racking up <laughs> 25. Yeah, you're racking up 25 right there. So that's right. If you're uh, if you're the leadoff hitter, you've already got 2,500 in the bank, and that's just like that doesn't even count your sack flies. <laughs> Man. And then of course at the end of every game, you've got a, you've got another 25. Yeah. Uh, maybe oh. 35. <laughs> and you've got got greetings when you get to the dugout, maybe. So I guess it is mostly in-game, and it's mostly in-game events. So it's a replacement-level high-fiver, so I guess that would probably be a replacement-level player, right? Because the more, I mean, the better you are, the more high-fives you give, or at least there's a correlation there. Do you think Albert Bell gave fewer high-fives <laughs> than his teammates? Like, how many high-fives, if if, uh, if the average Oriole gave 100 high-fives, you know, what had it gave X high-fives and we did a high-five plus, <laughs> uh, where would Albert Bell be? Do you think you can get out of high-five duty is what I'm saying? Is it like where, like, if I go to a party, for instance, and I hate being around people, I will find ways to disappear for 20 minutes? Do you think Albert I, Bell yeah, sometimes think so. just slinks off? Like, he sees a high-five train coming, and that's when he goes to, yeah, definitely. to, or, to, <laughs> to bone his bat or whatever that thing Riley said was. <laughs> oh, right. Um, yeah, I think so. I think if you are if you don't like physical interaction with others, certainly some players are to continuum. Some players might like it more than others. So no, I know I know that there are some, like I know that he might not go out of his way, but do you think he avoids the home run line? <laughs> I don't think you can completely avoid it. Uh, I mean, I'm certainly saying, the, the guy at the plate at least is going to give you one. I'm saying, um, I'm saying for a guy who's playing, I'm not talking about a bench guy, because a bench guy is only going to be giving congratulatory high fives rather than receiving them. Mm-hmm. So I'm talking, I'm talking regular. So yeah, a regular, regular but... major player. I'm saying seventy to eighty a day. <laughs> okay, well, so you figure your team scores four runs a game. That's roughly the average now. So you're you're getting up every one of those times, right? And, sure. And, and one, some of those times, you're going to be the guy. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what's okay? So the well, what's the average? You're, you're, the average, a replacement level player who is playing every day scores, I don't know what, sixty runs or something, fifty runs. Uh, if you're playing every day, yeah, it's sixty to sixty to eighty. I would say if you play a four hundred and sixty-two game season. Yeah. But you're not good, so you're getting up less, and you're getting on base less. Well, are we saying you're playing every day though? If you're playing yeah, every day, roughly. All right, I'm going to look up Alex Gonzalez. <laughs> which one? Oh, which exit one? marks or <laughs> without exit? Alex Gonzalez, uh, per 162 game average, was 67 runs, and nobody, okay. was, nobody was worse than him. <laughs> and he batted at the bottom. Well, one guy was worse than him. Uh, Nafi Paris. Uh, Alex Gonzalez, I was going to say, but uh, but he, you know, 290 on base percentage, batted yeah. at the bottom of the lineup. Uh, the other Alex Gonzalez per game per 162 was 72 runs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so so just so just did you there. Know they, did you know they have the same OPS plus? Wow, no, I didn't. 79. I discovered that the other day. Oh, so can we? Okay, so can you? Maybe we can just use him as the baseline for just positive events where he would be high fiving the whole team. So runs scored, sacrifice flies. Uh, productive outs of all kinds. Well, uh, home runs. Yeah. Well, th- that's counted in runs. Um, so, so looking at his 162 game average, how many, how, roughly how many events in a full season would require a full team hand pound of his own? Yes, where he's the guy who is getting all of them. All right. So we're saying <laughs> we're saying 67 runs. We're saying. Uh, a ten sack hits, four sack flies. So that's uh, we're up to eighty one. And some number of grounders the other way. Or certainly, whatever. certainly. Yeah. Let's call that another twelve. So okay. we're, uh, we're up to. Did I say? I think we're ninety three. Okay. And then we've got good plays to end an inning. Sure. Yeah. So you figure there's. Yeah. Shortstop's got to get a lot of those. Yeah. Maybe, maybe thirty. <laughs> I mean, does he get one for every double play? Eh, I don't think so. Let's say thirty. Okay. Uh, all right. So we're at 
123. Yeah. <laughs> okay. uh, and then we've got, uh, I guess, you know, even if you get, like, sometimes you, you sting a line drive, you know, and mm. it, it's caught. You might you might get some high fives. You know, you get caught stealing. You know what? You get caught stealing, you go back to the dugout, you get high fives because you got on the base. You know, because you got a hit in the first place. That's true. By the way, by the way, not, I mean, there's a hundred and there's a hundred two hundred times he reaches base. That's one from the first base coach every time. Guaranteed. Oh, oh man. <laughs> this is like a <laughs> this might be a thesis or something. This is pretty complicated. So we're up to we're up to one 120 plus my stolen base uh, my caught stealing theory yeah. my, you know you know you get on it you get a hit and then you get forced at second that's a high five that's a that's a dugout <laughs> high five right well I'm yeah is that a after... that's not a full team i mean if you're if you're making the last out of the inning you're not getting the full team because some guys are heading out to the field or whatever probably they not going to get everyone certainly not if it's the last out of the inning that's true yeah i'd so say they, discount I'd say it I'd say you're the star of the show 175 times. So let's <laughs> let's call that. It's not 25 because the bullpen guys from the bullpen, <laughs> and some guys are on base, some guys batting. So let's call it 14 per. Uh-huh. <laughs> so that's you got 2450 right there. <laughs> okay. So uh, so so now we've got to account for how many you're you're giving out. Right. So your team scores. And you know, by the way, 600 runs or something. By the way, that's 2430. My initial estimate of 70 per only mm-hmm. gets you to 11,000. And so now you just have to figure A, is there is there another 9,000 for uh-huh. um, you know that you give out? And B, is it fair to use Alex Gonzalez as our standard? <laughs> I don't think it's unfair. Oh, by the way, by the way, no, no. I said 20 I did that's right, but then also uh, 162 games plus the uh, high five line at the end of the game. So that yeah. tacks on another 4,000. <laughs> oh, man. Ugh. So now we're halfway there. And that's not even talking about the ones that he's given so generously, which he has to do in order to stay in the league. Because mm-hmm. if you're as bad as Alex Gonzalez, yeah. if you're... you're staying in because of your... That's a possible bias, right? Because if you're, if you, if you're a replacement-level player, then you are probably high-fiving disproportionately. Yeah. Just so you can be known as a high fiver. So, <laughs> so replacement level high fiver is not necessarily a replacement level player. Man, there are a lot of factors to consider here. So if we've if we've established that Alex Gonzalez is getting more than I mean Alex Gonzalez who's bad and he's getting more than one high five line a game, then that mm-hmm. means that Alex Gonzalez could anticipate that he is giving, on average, all of his regular teammates at least one a game. And That's so that right. so that would be at least at least a minimum including the relievers who pitch an inning right. or pitch batters. Yeah. Starters uh-huh. is a minimum of what? I mean, we're talking 13 guys who are getting at least an Alex Gonzalez worth of high fives. Mm-hmm. So that's another 2100. So I think this is all conservative, but we're up to 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 9000. <laughs> <laughs> and and I mean we're getting we're basically getting to my number my original number seventy a seventy a game seventy a day, uh huh, huh. Which which works out to twelve thousand or okay. Well, it seems reasonable. Yeah. I've... Eleven thousand three hundred and forty. Hmm. All right. Yeah. I I mean I guess you're not. Yeah. I guess does fan interaction count? Uh, what are you, Cal Rifkin? <laughs> 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 Breaking Lou Gehrig's record. How often are you high-fiving fans? If you're Lasting's Millage, you might high-five fans <laughs> on your way out to the to the corner. <laughs> but I don't know if you're if you're signing autographs or something. You yeah. know, if you're signing. Do you see them giving high fives? They hate the fans. Yeah, they don't hate the fans. Alex Gonzalez loves the fans. <laughs> All right, I guess. And you're not you're not giving reporters any of these things. You're not. I mean, maybe. I guess coaching staff is mostly like butt pats or back pounds or non-hand interaction. So seems seems reasonable. What about uh, if you go home and give your wife a high five? Are we <laughs> counting that? <laughs> that should count. All right. Your your kids? If you oh if you have kids? Oh man, what if you're no? What if you got five kids at home? Ben, what if you're talking, Melvin Mora and you've got octuplets? We're and you're talking, high-fiving all of them. 
Dude, we're in the eleven thousands a day. I mean, it's not gonna move them. It's not gonna move the needle. You high five your kids three to three to twelve times a day uh-huh. at most. So, well, all right. So let's say six. All right, so that's another thousand. <laughs> that's substantial. Okay. All right. Uh, first base. A first base coach, though. Yeah. Every, every single every walk is, is right. Good. So. So that's so how what, many times does a guy? On base in a season when on like, first on first maybe it yeah two, I mean three hundred well no I'm not talking about the player anymore I'm trying to figure out the first base coach how many oh doing. well so oh. he does he's going to do twelve a game plus the rope line at the end right so that would be mm-hmm. thirty seven although he might also do he might give one to the pitchers who come in mid inning because he's already in the dugout probably not though I'm going to count thirty seven so he's at six thousand first base coach gets away with half. That's why he doesn't get paid as much. I think I am going to have to find a player who will keep track of his high fives for me. <laughs> Settle this just a day in the life of one high fiver. Mm-hmm. Get us some empirical data on this. All right. Well, this is one of my favorite email show questions ever. Mm. Good job, John. All right. Well, we like that question so much that that took up a lot of time. That we could have devoted to other questions, but that's, that's fine because those other questions probably wouldn't have been as entertaining as that for us, anyway. It's going to be weird. Everyone when, listening, isn't it going to be weird when our book is nothing but that question <laughs> answered? It's going to oh, be. Oh, that's we're right. Gonna, we are in a position. To we're going to be seven, We're going to get seventy-one games into the season, the seventy-eight game season, and realize all we've done is count high fives, <laughs> and we really have to speed things up on the rest. <laughs> Uh, We're going to well. be calling for sacrifice bunts just, just to <laughs> jack up the high five rate. <laughs> Definitely going to be gathering data on this at some point during the season. All right. That's enough. I will save some of the other questions that I have set aside here, and we will answer them next week. Please support our sponsor. We've already told you that. We still believe it. Baseball Reference Play Index coupon code BP which is, again, the same coupon code that you can use for Stompers gear if you're interested. And we will take your emails for next week at podcast at baseballperspectus.com. Encourage you to join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Effectively Wild. There's a 60-comment thread in there about players we should sign. I think 20 of them are Barry Bonds. And you can rate and review and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. We will be back tomorrow with a team preview podcast.